We actually think that the ultimate goal of the Christian life is favorable circumstances and, and favorable treatment. Is that truly the ultimate goal? No, no. The ultimate goal is, is not favorable circumstances or treatment. The ultimate goal is Christ's likeness and advancement of the gospel. This is Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. Well, despite what you may hear from some preachers on radio or TV, Jesus never promised that Christians would enjoy a life of comfort and ease. Jesus' own life proved that. The clarity of the gospel often comes from those who endure and stay faithful to Christ when the hard times come. That's our topic of today's Bible study. Crawford is leading us through a series titled Navigating Life's Challenges, based on the book of 1 Peter. If you're new to our broadcast, Crawford has served in Christian ministry for over 50 years. He recently retired from Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia, after pastoring there for over 15 years. Crawford now heads a leadership mentoring program called Beyond Our Generation. The messages we feature on Living a Legacy come from Crawford's years at Fellowship Bible Church. He's authored such books as Lessons from a Life Coach, Unshaken, and one he co-authored with his wife Karen called Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. Well, if you've not been able to join us for this series, the previous messages are available to stream on our website, and I'll have more information about that at the end of our time today. In this lesson, Crawford will have us consider some questions we need to answer in dealing with an increasingly hostile cultural environment. Our text is 1 Peter chapter 2. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. One of the challenges of doing exposition or going sequentially through a book of the Bible is that you do not have the prerogative to skip. Oh, I suppose you could. This is one of these passages, quite frankly, it's very uncomfortable in one sense for me to preach on this text because there's a lot of ouch all over this. It reminds me of stories that my my, my dad and my uncles have told me about Jim Crow and segregation and uh, the, the oral tradition in our family passed down from Peter who was the slave, my great grandfather, and the treatment and all this stuff. And so this text is really, I, I'm always filled with confliction when I read passages about abusive authority or slavery. And then the history of this text has been uh, it has been hijacked and misapplied and misused in the history of our country to endorse something that Peter did not endorse in the passage. And so you almost feel like, you know, you come to a city and you can either go through town or take the bypass. You sort of feel like taking the bypass around this text. And yet at the same time, it is rich and it is wonderful. It's hard for us immediately to identify with Peter's saying here. Because frankly, here in the West, we don't live here in some sense anymore, in some senses we do. And this is a very, very important passage of scripture for us to get our hearts and minds around. The other thing I will say about the passage in terms of setting this thing up is that you, the, the context is king, and context is particularly king in this text. If you take these verses, verses 13 to 25, out of what Peter has said prior to this, you're gonna to come to some wrong conclusions. So just to isolate the passage, you have to understand these epistles in the New Testament were letters. They were meant to be read in their entirety. And we don't have that privilege when you preach, so you catch slices of what's being said here. 
So it's important, particularly in this text, to lodge it into the broader context of what Peter is saying. Now, remember they are exiles. These folks did not go on vacation to these five provinces. They, was, they did not say, oh, good, Mary, let's go visit, you know, Cappadocia this weekend. No, they were snatched out of Jerusalem. They were taken from their context. They, had to, they, they, they ran because of persecution. They're no longer at the, 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 the happening place where the Spirit of God and revival was taking place there in Jerusalem and thousands of people were coming to know Christ and the apostles who literally saw Jesus were standing up and holding forth and teaching the doctrine. It was unbelievable. And now they're exiles and they're trying to make it. Before we get any further here, let me just pose a few questions, and I'll let you know where I'm going, by the way. I'm going to walk through the passage, and at the end, I want to make five suggestions in terms of what we ought to think and what our attitude should be about engaging our culture and about, and about authority and about all these matters. The passage forces us to raise some questions. One is, how should Christians respond when they live in hostile, oppressive circumstances. How should we respond? How should we respond when the government's coming after us? How should we respond when we're living in, in situations where options have been taken off the table? How should we respond? This is a foreign question to us. Foreign question to us. Oh, we know a little bit of persecution. Somebody might lose a job because you talked about Jesus and this kind of thing. And that's sort of like persecution light. That's sort of like a breath meant persecution. Um, but how, how, do, how do we respond? How do we respond when we live in these hostile situations and oppressive circumstances? Secondly, what should our attitude be toward those who oppress and mistreat us? It's a big one. What should my attitude be toward those who call me names? And what should my attitude be toward a government and society? I'm not saying that that's us. We're heading in this direction. A government and society that, 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 that restricts my freedoms, that comes after me. What, what should my attitude be? The third question, is the ultimate goal favorable treatment and circumstances? That's our brand of Christianity, isn't it? That's what we think. We actually think that the ultimate goal of the Christian life is favorable circumstances and, and favorable treatment. Uh, this, is, this is what we deserve. This is our birthright as American Christians. Is that truly the ultimate goal? No. No. The ultimate goal is, is not favorable circumstances or treatment. The ultimate goal is Christ's likeness and advancement of the gospel. And you notice anybody who writes about suffering in the New Testament, they highlight that. Paul talks about it. He says, you want to know what's happening to me? I'm in jail here. All of this has happened, listen to his line, for the furtherance of the gospel. Peter, we, the very first message, all the way through this book on suffering, all the way through, he highlights their behavior and the focal point of Christ's likeness and the advance of the gospel. Often our pain becomes a pathway of hope for others. Our suffering and persecution becomes a focal point of the glory of God. And so it's within that context you need to read these words. 
Big mistake as you read what I'm about ready to read here is you got to be very careful here. Peter is not endorsing crazy, uh, insane, abusive treatment. He's not endorsing evil governments, and he's not endorsing slavery. Now, I know that these passages have been used and hijacked that way, but the focal point of what Peter is all about in this text, as you connect it to its broader context, is that he's telling these folks how to survive in the context of oppressive situations. He's not making a tacit endorsement of wrong or of evil. So, Peter is pushing these believers to do what matters most. Don't forget you're a follower of Jesus. Use your circumstances to glorify God. And by the way, the rest of the story of the book of 1 Peter, it ends very well because we do know from history that there was a movement of the Spirit of God throughout the Roman Empire. The rest of the story is that these Christians who modeled Christ's likeness in the midst of suffering began to impact and draw the attention of a whole bunch of folks. In fact, I read a little, little article about the advance of Christianity in the Roman Empire just this past week, and I'll just quote from this, uh, this article on the rise of Christianity. It says, eventually the Roman public became aware of the high moral qualities of the religion by watching Christians face persecution and death steadfastly. This convinced many that Christians really did possess a source of spiritual comfort and strength, inducing many, many to, uh, to join the cult, is what they called it back then. And not just the poor downtrodden. Already by the reign of Domitian, Christians were found at the highest circles of society. So you have to understand what Peter is talking about here was the top of the funnel of a major movement of the Spirit of God and how these people responded really was a source of impacting and changing the culture. Little aside here, you got to be careful, you got to be careful. Our arguments and our, 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 our going back and forth and our debating, although there's a place for that, is really not the pathway to change the culture. What ends up changing the culture is Christ-like transformation. When we become exhibit A in the midst of difficulty, it's hard to resist what we really believe. And I think you need to see that as the backdrop of what Peter is saying to these folks who are exiles here. So having said all of that, what does Peter say? Peter basically says to these folks who are in the midst of, and I say this advisedly, not profanely, in the midst of a hellhole, options taken off the table. He says, you, you, you need to focus on two things. You have been entrusted with the gospel. You belong to Jesus. You're in circumstances that are unimaginable. So what do you focus on? Again, he's not endorsing a system. Don't read it that way. You need to focus on these two things. Number one, you need to focus on being a model citizen. And secondly, and this is where I get a lump in my throat and cotton in my mouth, you need to focus on being submissive servants. Model citizens and submissive servants. 
the very first thing he says, we need to focus on being a model citizen. Again, and I say, this is the, the section verses 13 through 17. Peter is saying here, he's not saying, he's not endorsing evil leaders and injustice. He's not endorsing evil leaders and injustice. I'll say it one more time. He's not endorsing evil leaders or injustice. But he's telling them how to thrive in the midst of, of, of a mess. And the very first thing he says is that, look, you, you have to be a model citizen. In these harsh circumstances, we're called to, first of all, submit to authority. Verses 13 and 14. Be subject to the, uh, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it, it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Circle the word. If you, I'm reading English Standard Version, it says subject yourself. If you have a translation that says respect, that is not the best translation of the Greek word there. It means more than just purely respect. It means to be subject to. And I think that the, the English Standard Version has it right. It's more than just submission. It means subjection to. It comes from the Greek word um, uh, upatasso, which literally means a military term that me means to arrange in military fashion under the command of another. So he's saying is don't just give a wink and a nod to government. No, he says, subject yourself to its authority, to its authority. Christians are responsible to obey the law. Uh, the commentary on this is Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. And you can go home later and read that, where Paul expands on this and talks about that government is a minister of God for the people and that we're to live under its authority. We're to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. We're to submit to that. And Christians are to be model citizens. It's as if Peter's saying, don't rail against society. Don't rail against these laws, man. It, you know, no, it's not the same as in Jerusalem. They're a different set of laws, but they, you know, it's the Roman Empire. No, they don't have the same framework. They don't have the same values. They don't have the same perspective. They don't honor anybody's Bible, but subject yourself to it. Now, balance this off. Peter is not saying that we are to obey the laws even if they conflict with the scriptures. He would say just the opposite. We're, we're to obey the law as long as they do not, or it does not conflict with the scriptures. Because Peter is himself an illustration of that. He would, he would contradict this. Early on in Acts chapter 4, he and John got busted by, by, by the religious leaders that had a rule in the law, and they were brought before them, and they charged them, and they had every authority to charge them. Don't speak in this name anymore. And Peter says, no can do. Can't do that. Sorry. 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 You tell me to pay my taxes. Good. You tell me not to, you know, walk in the middle of the street. Good. You tell me I can't do that. Good. You tell me, you know, you, all this, I'll say good. But when you start telling me not to preach the gospel, I ain't doing that. Thus, Peter says, we ought to obey God rather than man. This book is supreme. I've said this before, and I want to say it one more time to us, and I keep saying this. The Bible is never meant to be a point of reference for us to do the Christian life. You don't go back to the Bible as a point of reference. The Bible is the context by and through which we live our lives. Everything in life, 
It is the context for our lives. How we raise our children, how we think, how to respond to issues. It's the context of our lives. And Peter is saying to these exiles, you don't have the right to a la carte what you pick and choose. This is your framework and you submit. And whenever the government is in obvious conflict with scriptures, there's no decision to be made. You do what the word says. Then he says, for the Lord's sake. The point that he's making here is this is the motivation for obeying the law. The motivation for obeying the law, and don't get me wrong, is not to kiss up to the government. The motivation for obeying the law, this is, this is going the extra mile. The motivation for obeying the law, the law is for, and when he says for the Lord's sake, it, it, it implies for his witness, for his glory. Do it. I don't like that law. That's irrelevant. Do it. I don't like that. Well, do it. I'm not paying taxes. Well, you're going to have a jail ministry. Do it. Then he says in verse 15, always do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This is a theme of Peter. Hey, man, don't give the devil a stick to hit you upside the head with. Man, just, just do always, always, always do good. This is your demeanor. You, you, you don't complain. You, you just pour it out there. You, you always do good. Let them watch you. Let the government officials watch you. Let them audit your behavior. Let them look at what you do behind closed doors. May they see a consistency about your attitude. You're not subversive. You're not causing problems. Always do good. You do right. You're the best citizen. Let your works demonstrate the reality of your commitment and what you really believe. And then he says, thirdly, live transparently. That's what verse 16 is about. He says, look, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Don't, don't, don't pretend to be free, and yet you have, you have little hidden agendas and you're acting like it, but living as servants of God. Peter's saying that we enjoy true freedom when we obey God and live as his servants. That's where true freedom is. True freedom is not the structures around you. You can be a prisoner but be truly free. Paul teaches us in the book of Philippians, doesn't he? He's in jail, and yet you see the joy that he has there while he's in jail. He teaches us that restriction can be a wonderful, liberating source and form of freedom. You are truly free. You know, I, I saw this in, in, in a graphic way, a way that I'll never forget back in 1979. I, my first time I went to South Africa, I was speaking to these uh, uh, business and political leaders in, in Pretoria and Johannesburg, and you know what South Africa was in 1979? It was a heyday of apartheid. It, you know, listen to me, listen to me. This was legalized slavery. Those of us in the West don't really appreciate 
the oppressive nature of apartheid. And I won't go into all the details there. But what was a crazy maker for me is that in the mornings they had scheduled these outreaches to business and political leaders in these posh hotels in Joburg and Pretoria. And in the evenings I was speaking in, in these townships like Soweto and Attridgeville where there is unimaginable abject poverty and, and people couldn't own anything. And, you know, they had to travel with passes. And it was, it was a crazy maker. And actually, I almost lost my mind. Seeing the disparity there did something to me. And so near the end of the trip, I really, I really, I, I, was, I was not healthy. Near the end of the trip, I'm in Attridgeville. Soweto gets a lot more of, uh, because it's larger, but Attridgeville is, was a worse township than Soweto. I'm in Attridgeville speaking at this large outreach there. And uh, one of our staff members, Dan Lapoco, uh, lived in a small, tiny house. And I had to use the bathroom. And so I said, Dan, uh, where's the bathroom? And he lowered his head and he gave me a flashlight. So you have to go outside. I said, God, this is not fair. Let justice roll down. These people shouldn't be treated like this. It's not right. And I just didn't want to preach that evening. On the way to the meeting, as we showed up at the meeting, hundreds of people were there. Hundreds of them. And as we walked into the meeting, I'll never forget, as long as I live, they were singing in Kossa, am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And it was as if the Lord spoke to my heart, Crawford, who's really free here? The oppressors are prisoners. These people are free. And what Peter is saying is, look, 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 look. Your, your, your circumstances doesn't define who you are. Where you live doesn't determine the nature of your Christianity. The oppressive regimes that you're in and this kind of thing, it can't rob you of your joy. You're free. Yet I think he's saying something more here. Bear with me. He, he's also saying, uh, we submit as those who are free in Christ. Now hear me. Not as those who have a subservient spirit. We're not subservient. We're submissive. We're not subservient. In other words, I said this last week, how they treat you should not determine your dignity. Yeah, you're in this oppressive regime. You're under this set of circumstances, and I want you in order to survive and, and for the testimony of the gospel, yes, yeah, submit to this. But what they say about you and how they treat you is not who you really are. We serve authority, we're not owned by authority. That's what he's saying. We serve authority, but we're not owned by authority. We're free. We're free. How to Thrive in the Mess, the title of today's message by Dr. Crawford Loretz. We are looking at some questions we need to answer in dealing with an increasingly hostile culture. Join us again next week for the second half of this message. Crawford is leading us through a series called Navigating Life's Challenges, based on the book of 1 Peter. Now, if you're finding this series helpful, please let us know. Your interaction is vital as it helps assure us that this program is a necessary part of this station's programming. Email us at legacyatmoody.edu, legacyatmoody.edu. Just a couple of sentences is all it takes. Now, if you missed out on parts of today's message, catch it all on our website, livingalegacy.org. Previous messages in the series are there as well, livingalegacy.org. Look for the past programs link. 
Hope you'll be back again with us next time for further study into how we're to live in difficult times. For Crawford Loretz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for being with us today. Living a Legacy is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.